You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode 78 of the MVP Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with business applications MVP Todd Beginski. <laughs> Hey, this is Christian Buckley with another MVP Buzz Chat interview, and I'm here today with Todd. How's it going? Hey, it's going good. I'm glad we got a chance to hook up today. So, Todd, we've known each other for over 10 years now, yeah. Yeah, with, for a full decade, uh, back in the old days of seeing you out at events on the road. Like, I, I didn't know where, for, for like a year, I didn't even know where you lived. I just saw you on the field, you know, at, <laughs> out there. Why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, where you are, all those things. Sure thing. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Todd Beginski, and I live in Loveland, Ohio. It's near Cincinnati. Unfortunately, I'm a Bengals fan, and as you probably guessed, like, there's, what, probably three, four Ohio Statehoes. I like the Buckeyes, too. <laughs> you know, I grew up a 49ers fan in oh, the Bay Area. Oh, so man. I have a special place in my heart for the Bengals and, and mm-hmm. for falling every time that we. Uh... <laughs> yeah, the two time we made it to the Super Bowl, right. your boys take us down. Yeah. So, yeah, like you mentioned, we've known each other a long time and we got to know each other through technology. So SharePoint is what brought us to the same places. So I uh, started out my career, let's see, building intranets at Cincinnati Bell on good old ASP3. That was a lot of fun. And then grew into working on CincinnatiBell.com. And then... Uh, oh, what years? When were you in the telephony world? That was at Pacific Bell. That, that was, that was uh, my internship in college and then the year after college. Wow. Okay. Was when I did that. Yeah. And then I had caught the bug of skiing on spring break one year. I think it was in 95 we went to Colorado and I'd never been there before it. I got to the top of a base and then I was like, all right, when I graduate college, I'm moving here. <laughs> so about a year after that, that's when I moved out to Colorado and, and um, that was fun. Bunch of site server three commerce edition back then and things like that. And the background I had with the Microsoft stack eventually landed me on a project with SharePoint and then started che- teaching SharePoint development training around the world. And I, I think that was at the point I probably met you. Yeah, I'm trying to remember which event where we were really kind of talking in depth. It was in Boston over in one of the, the hotels at, right over by the aquarium. Can't yeah. remember which one. It was that was of- the only time I've ever been to Boston. I remember oh, really? that. Really? Okay. Yeah, there was, it, it was us. It was Himmelstein was there. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to remember I don't who, think Jason was an MVP at that point yet. He I was think not. It was about a year before that he got that. Yeah, he was not. Um, yeah, no, that was, uh, yeah, it, it's funny. You were described, somebody described you at one point early on was, uh, it's like, yeah, Todd, he skis and occasionally he codes. <laughs> 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 There's there were more than one time that I did email in the gondola or on the lift. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, if you got Wi-Fi and you can be productive anywhere, so. that's right. That's right. In fact, this is a funny tidbit. When I first moved to Denver, the cell phone only existed as you could send a text and make a call. Oh, oh one, right? And so come oh two oh three, it had moved into you could get that Palm device. 
and you could look at very crude web pages. If, if I remember, the protocol was called WAP, I think. And yep. so you could just get text kind of web pages with no graphics. And it would always bug me that I, I couldn't, I couldn't wait around for the ski report in Denver at my house on the internet and see which resort got the most snow to head for. And I was like, man, if I could only figure this out on my phone. So I figured out how to, it was, I was learning.net, I was laid off at the time. And I figured out how to write some .net code to screen scrape the latest snow report totals for across the world and throw them into a database and then make .NET make this WAP page, and now all of a sudden my little Palm phone could actually get it, and I bought wirelessskireport.com. Look how excited I'm getting. And, <laughs> and so now I'd be leaving on time to get first chair at the resort, and right before I got to the Eisenhower Tunnel, around Downeyville on I-70 is where the signal cut out then, and I would pull over to the side of the road and get my phone out and look. And then decide, am I going over the pass to A Basin, or am I staying here at Loveland, or are we going out to Vale, Copper, or Breck? <laughs> and that, that was fun. So, like, as you can tell, I just love technology and finding cool uses for it. Yeah, I know that when you... So and that all parlayed into SharePoint, Office 365, Azure, Power Apps, everything we do today. Well, I know that you started to make a shift. I think, remember when we talked when you said, hey, I'm kind of stepping back from doing the pure SharePoint stuff and really going to focus more on, on the mobile and some of the other newer technology. So you've really been focusing on, you've gone that direction and the uh, power platforms based solutions and that kind of stuff. So kind of what's, what's some of the stuff that's that you're most engaged in that you're working with? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and that's a really interesting trip because you're right. I consciously said like, okay, I've been doing SharePoint for about 10 years now and I see this mobile technology. I'm using it on my phone and my iPad I want to learn how to code these things and solve problems with this. And so I started doing that. And then Power Apps got into like the secret, you know, beta. And some folks at Microsoft reached out and said, hey, Todd, we heard you do a lot of work with Xamarin and Cordova and iOS and Android. We've got something new that works with mobile. You want to take a look at it? So I got involved on that program really early. And I got to kick the tires on it and play with it. And... And now I use it all the time. And so, so what are some of the things we built with it? Some very simple things, like for a um, company here in Cincinnati, their HVAC company, they build green buildings. They have 400 field personnel. So that they're not just like a one or two truck kind of company, really big company, and building really big buildings and putting the whole HVAC and everything green into that building. And they were doing time tracking on good old paper and pencil or sending in emails. And so we built them a power app solution to do that. And now the whole company does that and it feeds into a database and they got a power BI report and they have instant viewing of all the, the time that has been spent and on what project. And they have very intricate reporting system, project codes, cost codes, labor codes. They're very detailed on how they report it, but, that wasn't really hard to do, just some more columns in the list, right? Well, in the database. They were previously using um, a SharePoint solution that they home grew. And it was just based on SharePoint list and using out of the box SharePoint design. But with that many people and that much time, they were running up on the limits of 
with the SharePoint data storage. That's a pretty common yeah. scenario. Yeah, go yeah. You build it, you, you kind of prove it out. And, but what most organizations will do is they'll say, hey, well, this is good enough. It's working for us. Why do we need to go invest further in that? And then yeah. they start stretching the limits of that. They do. And, and so that's like, that's the simplest example, right? Time tracking. Um, but huge impact for the company at the same time. And then there, there's been some other fun ones we've done lately. Um, there's another company here in Cincinnati who their job is, well, it's easier to describe what they do if you tell a story. So you're like, you know, if you go to Ikea and you buy a cabinet and it comes with that sheet of parts and the wrench and all those things. Right. Yeah. Well, Ikea doesn't make those screws and washers and nuts. They order them from someone else and they say, hey, we're going to make X amount of these cabinets. This is the part pack. We need you to ship us those part packs and then we'll put it in our box. Is it that team that also makes, creates the made up names for all their products? <laughs> I don't think they hire that out to the parts supplier. <laughs> It's some, it's some uh, sadistic marketing. Person. I think you have to be European to really understand them all well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a son that's fluent in Swedish and he was telling me, he's like, he even verified. He's like, he's like some of the stuff, like the, 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 the names have meetings. Some of them is, it's just gibberish. <laughs> really? That's why. Okay. I thought you did have to be European. Like I said, I thought they were like yeah. cultural things or parts of the different languages there that I know. I've got like firsthand. Well, if my, my son firsthand information on this, where he, that was one of the, the things, the first pictures he, he was over there for two years. One of the first pictures he sent uh, looking out his window of his apartment was, uh, was a massive Ikea. And so I, I'm like, you know, you need to go get to the bottom of this, uh, you know, <laughs> the naming mechanisms for their products. But. So he went off on a little detective mission. He went. Uh, he did a little digging there. So that's cool. Very cool. Oh, so back back to this yeah. other app. So yeah, these guys are one of those folks who buys all these parts from the manufacturers and then packages them up so other people can resell them with whatever they're selling. And so they're kind of that middleman. And what they do is they receive tons of these parts all the time. I mean, you can imagine not just screws, nuts, and bolts. I mean, I saw their warehouse in the back um, where we actually went to install the power app and where they use it. I mean, they've got everything from shock absorbers to a washer back there. Yeah. And, and so, oh, huge array of things. And so what the power app does is all these things come in and they have a UPC code on them. So they, they grab the package of them and they throw it under the scanner and boom, the code gets read, it goes into the power app. Power App looks up what it is in the database, pulls back and populates the page, and it tells them, based on how many that are in this quantity here, there's an ANSI specification that says how many you need to test in order to call it good and accepted. So it goes and cross-references that and tells them, here's how many you need to test. And then it tells them, these are all the different characteristics you need to test. What is the diameter of this? What is the width of that? What is the length of that? What is the height? all kinds of different tests and some really cool machines that they have back in that room that they do those tests with. Um, they showed me a machine. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. It was pretty neat. You can put a screw in the machine and the machine will be, it, it shines a light across the screw so you can actually see the projection of the threads and you can look at them and it projects them against things that have measurements so you can see without having to get a little microscope out or, or a magnifying glass, does this 
line up with what I expect these thread lengths and spacings to be and do they look uniform? And so some really cool stuff like that they're using and the Power App basically facilitates this whole check-in process and they can either approve it or deny it and then as you can imagine flows take off and handle that. You know, it just it made me think of the way you're describing that. I said that's at kind of the micro level, the macro is what like Microsoft was highlighting with their uh, their uh, uh, augmented reality solutions, and they use it example like uh, moving that piece of machinery. They had some like two ton device that was going to go on a factory floor, and it, and so they needed to do two things. One, so they were virtually walking around so this big virtual piece of machinery to see if it would fit on the floor. They could wow like actually see line it up. Then there was the question, they said, we found a home for it, but then they, was, they were walking back, there's like, how would we actually get this device, this machine to that place? And they realized, yeah, it fits in the location, but we can't get it there, so they had to go find another location. I just thought that was, uh, just kind of it drew some That's parallels cool. with what you described. Yeah. It's incredible, some of the, you know, what they're coming up with to mm -hmm. automate. I've worked in the supply chain space for a few years as well. Okay and building software solutions, collaboration technology for uh, supply chain organizations. So I'm fascinated by solutions like this, and especially, I don't know if you've worked on like IOT stuff as well. Yeah, talking about tracking one of those last year. That was yeah, we're talking about like the HVAC company, I mean, to be able to go in and, uh, uh, and be able to measure and provide data in real time, yeah. a system to it, make intelligent, decisions about what's happening based on the readings it's getting. I mean, it's just, it's really cool the direction that we're going. It is, it's amazing. The, the IOT, it's cool that you mentioned that. That was one of the funnest projects I've worked on was this IOT project. And we had a couple different phases on it and they spanned parts of 2018 and, and 2019. And it was really cool. It's for a manufacturer of gas compressors. And the gas compressors have, you know, dozens and dozens of sensors on them. And that, that gets fed up by a gateway device they put on their compressor, which uses a cellular signal to send that data to Azure. Mm -hmm. And we built a system that once we got the data into Azure, we processed it, looked to see if anything bad was occurring, if so, alert people. Like we sent text messages and emails to people if things crossed certain thresholds and gave them a link. And when they click the link, they go right to our responsive website. And there you're seeing the live real-time data on, on that compressor on all those different measurements. And there's a lot of calculated measurements and things there too. And it's fun, right? Because you get to open it and look at these little gauges and they're, they're moving in real time, the needles and yep. charts and graphs of a historical sample of one point of data every minute for the the past month there available on your phone to troubleshoot things and I, w I wish that like vehicles I, I know Tesla's doing some things around that and there's a few other high-end vehicles mm -hmm. I really want that to be more mainstream if your car is able to send you that data and of course it's there's some translation of what these signals means and what possible you know what could be happening to your vehicle but push that information to vehicle owners via your phone yeah. to know that hey you're it's it, some it, something's getting high like you're running low on oil not just the oil light going off but yeah. being able to watch that data kind of in real time uh, you know report back and to, yeah. to know before something happens 
That would that be would really be. helpful. You know, that that, yeah. that goes to the some dealerships right now. My car sends its information to the dealership. And they will actually call me and say, it's a, I dropped it off this morning because two days ago they called me up and they said, hey, your vehicle reported that it's time for its service. You need a brake flush, an oil change, and routine check. Yep. And so the companies are getting it. But like you said, wouldn't it be nice if we had that in our own hands too? Well, I know that you hey, can go and buy, like I went and bought, I'm driving Audi, I went and bought, you know, my, the, the, the device to plug in to read the codes and, and do okay. stuff like, I mean, just because it's, you know, I, I own a vehicle that's very expensive to go in there and do those kinds of repairs. And, and if I have a heads up on what's happening, then yeah. you know, what can I go and do in preventative? And it just needs to get smarter about that. Yeah. Even if you can't fix it yourself, which is hard right. to do on cars nowadays compared well, to the ones just, you grew up on. It comes out codes and then I've got to go look it up online to figure out. So it's just not an intuitive, it's not a solution in place, mm -hmm. certainly not for uh, you know, an end user. Remember when we had our first cars like back in the uh, 90s and we changed our own brakes and all that and oil and my, my first carburetors. Mine was a 52 Chevy Bel Air. Like you open the hood, it was a straight four and you, there's bars coming out in this massive steel car and you see the ground all around the engine. It was fantastic. Very easy to work. Wow, on. you had like a classic car for your first car. And it wasn't like a collectible or anything, but I loved that thing. It was a tank. 87 Honda Civic for me. <laughs> it's a good vehicle. <laughs> well, my friends and I always used to joke 1.3 roaring non-fuel injected liters of power. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it's it's funny. I mar I married my wife uh, had a uh, had a Yugo, so oh. that was the aluminum block. We were actually lucky. I think when we when we finally just about gave that away, somebody bought it for from us for like 500 bucks, but it had like 85,000 miles. And that was double the average of a Yugo. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the Saturday Night Live knockoff of that? Hey, hey, it's Adobe. <laughs> yeah. well, that's right. That's right. And they, they yeah, they, they get out of the car. If not, people have not seen that video. They, yeah, they get out of the car to go play tennis in the white tennis outfit. So they've got nope. the brown and red Adobe all over the back. I bet that's on YouTube somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure it is. That's it's classic. That's funny. That is funny. Well, Todd, well, you know, what else, uh, as far as the, the new announcements and stuff, is there anything else that people should be watching, paying attention to? You know, I think that's a good question. There's so much changing. Like, if all the things I've seen in the past couple of years on the Microsoft stack is they seem to be investing a ton of their resources and what we see as announcements coming out in that the whole power platform, right? Power apps flow, all that power automation, all the, the new automation capabilities they released at Ignite. And then that the whole bit on the SharePoint side of Cortex. Yep. It's a and, lot, lot of excitement. I look, I, my, my, I just had this conversation, I think twice this week about Cortex. And I said, like, I interviewed Naomi Moneypenny at, at uh, in Prague at uh, the European SharePoint conference cool. last month. And I, and I even said to her, I said, I'm, I'm excited about Cortex. However, I like I'm, I'm withholding talking much about it, uh, trying to dig into it until, you know, it's, it's a bit more mainstream that there's something we can get our hands on. That's the hard part at the stage yeah. that it's at where there's a lot of speculation, but there's 
like a dozen companies that are playing with it right now. They're expanding that that very limited pilot. Have, have you played with it? Are you involved with any clients? That are I, I think I'm about to be. We we have someone right now who we're talking with on, on helping them build a product, actually. They have an idea for a product, and their product, without saying anything of what it could do, Cortex and that new fluid framework look like a good good technologies to help build their product. And so I'm actually going to talk to Chris about Cortex on Monday and how it might feel, fit into what they're aiming to do. That's very cool. It, I mean, obviously, it, it, it fills in kind of that, that vision, and it's, it's dragging you back, Todd, to the, uh, the intranet world. You know, it's happening. That's right. That's right. It, just, it all comes full circle. But it's, uh, I mean, that, that whole problem of knowledge management, information management, is that uh, especially now we have such a glut of content, of information that's out there, and to rely on, on search, it's not enough. Having AI, having uh, robust uh, um, uh, curation capabilities around, you need all of those things. Mm-hmm. And all of it's getting stronger and stronger. But it, it all points back to that same thing. It's like our, we need to be more efficient and effective in the use of our information assets because you know we have all this knowledge any company has all this knowledge and it's like how much our brain are we using you know we're we're using a fraction of what we're capable of and it's the same with our 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 data and so cortex i i look at that as this is a big step in that direction of uh of, of really surfacing uh you know that that hidden uh, those hidden information assets. Mm-hmm. You know, what you just said uh, made me think about something I was considering recently. So like AI is also a really big buzzword right now, right? And we all use, plug that into things all the time. Um, I know just this week, Christina and I uh, were POC and a little thing together on uh, OCRing a license plate by taking a picture of it with a power app. Yeah. And um, so that's, you can hook that OCR into the cognitive services and learn how to detect those images better, things like that. But looping back to the information glut you talked about and how Cortex can help you sift through that and find it. I won't be surprised if we see some kind of new packaged, I'm totally just shooting out here, like, you know, mind's eye kind of thing, but wouldn't it make sense for AI to do cleanup in an environment too? Well, I, 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 so I'll say the same thing. understand patterns of how different content is used and I agree. Tested and send emails to people to say, hey, this, you might want to archive this. But it's, but it's kind of like uh, um, looking at your like focused inbox. And the, so the, the, the danger with that, so, so I agree with you, but I, I, my answer to that is the same as Cortex. I said, I, I need to understand what the options are, the administrative options, the oversight of that, because Focus Inbox mm-hmm. is a great example of that. Uh, nine times out of 10, the stuff that it puts over there or that it filters and puts on my junk as spam, it's correct. But like mm-hmm. today, as I'm going through my morning, the emails that came in, there were one or two items that got moved to junk or were it, that were in... Yeah. We're not in folks' inbox that yeah. were very important. Like, why are they over here? I'm mm-hmm. constantly moving in. I've, you know, I've got rules in place. I got other things, and it will still make wrong decisions. Yeah, about that. So that curation process is critical. You, we, 
I, I, I don't know that. Uh, I, I would say that like eventually will AI do all of those things and do them competently? Yeah. Will it happen in our lifetimes? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It, it'll do more and more, but there's still that, you know, 0.01% of critical and it's a big mistake. And in the grand scheme of things can cost a lot. Mm -hmm. We have to have that oversight. So you, you know what's what's neat about these services, though, is you can you can build with that in mind. Like I, I was um, I was showing Christina how the payload that comes back from those AI services, if you will, they give you a confidence score on how how confident is that AI that it got this right. And in, in this example, it was just did it get the right letters off the license plate. Um, but one cool thing you can do is you can say, okay, to when we first launch this, if this confidence score is below X, and maybe you set it at 50 to start, then I'm going to detect that. And I'm going to take the value it gave me for the letters of the license plate, and I'll put them in the database, but I'm also going to send an email to someone and say, hey, here's the picture, here's the letters, is this right? Right. And if it was, they approve it and it's good. If not, now you can put another flat. And now as your data grows and you get things right, you can retrain your model with the data again. Sure. And so over time, you can take that confidence factor. Maybe you started it at 50 to kick it to someone for review. Maybe eventually you get it to 95. Right. Well, that, now that person's only doing 5% of the work they did before. But, that, but that's a, I mean, a solution like that. Let's say that you had, uh, you know, the police in your town were using that technology and they had like a red light camera or something that was smarter at capturing that information. There you go. Do I want, I mean, because this is a problem in a lot of areas where these red light cameras would pick things up and get things wrong and send, automatically send the ticket. Oh. We have, it, Oops. It, yeah, so if there's a threshold that said if there's anything short of 95%, um, you know, uh, confirmation that it's correct or, you know, whatever, that confidence level, don't send it. Send it to a human to review. Mm -hmm. I think that, that it would build more confidence in the, in the people that were getting those tickets. I mean, like, yeah. you know, but I, that's, that's as an example. There's, I agree, it's gonna get smarter, it's gonna get better. Like we as humans will learn from the mistakes that the AI is making and then we'll train it to recognize those outliers, those other examples, and so it should get better at those things. The, the danger is all, always that, I mean, human nature is that we are, we rush to, uh, uh, to, we want to manage by spreadsheet, by dashboard. We want it done, you know, easier, quicker, so we can focus on other things. And uh, the the technology, I mean, across the board with these things, is just not there. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why we don't have self-driving cars everywhere on the streets. You know, mm -hmm. I was reading an actually timely article. Here's the Wall Street Journal article: AI aims to protect cars from hackers. I haven't read it yet, but headline caught my eye there. It, there's a lot of, I mean, the whole, the, the, the ethical use of, of AI discussion, yeah. the, the, the over-reliance on the technology is a, a concern. Uh, I, I don't feel, I, I don't want to come off like I'm coming down on the technology. I'm excited about it. I just think that we have to be realistic about what it takes to make sure, especially when you're talking about, um, you know, charging people money or fines uh, or, or yeah. dealing with people's lives with vehicles. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. Um, did did yeah. you, you were at Ignite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And did you happen to see the AI powered air hockey table that Paul Stubbs and his team put together? No, I didn't see that at all. This is amazing. Where was that? I've worked on projects with Paul a few times and I have a relationship going back with Paul, I, I think like 15 years. So mm -hmm. it was just great to see him. And then he also had this computer controlled air hockey table that he was, he's over in the- um, Was it over in the gaming area? He's in autonomous, uh, computing autonomous devices systems, something like that at Microsoft. Yeah. And so they built, they took it, they built an air hockey table and then they, they made one of the players on the air hockey table, a, a robot. Yeah. And so it had cameras on it and would detect the puck coming in and it would defend its goal. And it wasn't shooting back at you, but it, it would play really good defense. Hmm. And there was really only one way to score on it. And it was to shoot, kind of that backdoor bank shot, you know? Yeah. And and the only reason it would work, he told me, is because the robot couldn't reach far enough <laughs> to stop that shot. Well, yeah, but uh, there we go. It's it's uh, Humans are really good at understanding like how we're being measured. And once we recognize how we're being measured, how we get around that measurement or optimize our experience around that measurement. So, yeah. And then I played it from the other side. He had a little Xbox controller hooked up to it. And I got to control the robot while one of the guys on his team who helped build the robot and program it, he was taking the easiest baby shots on me. And boy, it was hard to control that robot with that controller, but it was still fun nonetheless. Well, so, really you, so you're, you're not re quite ready, Todd, for uh, the robotic uh, surgery. Um, you know, so you're, you're up the skills. <laughs> That's how they do hernia surgeries nowadays. You hear about that? Precise. No, I, I know they've yeah, done yeah. some intricate, some brain surgery. Um, yeah, the, the docs get these little controllers and they move them and it, it moves the devices that, you know, make the surgery happen. Wow. That's my brother. He's the doctor. <laughs> Well, Todd, I really appreciate your, your time today. It, people want to find out more about you, get in touch with you. Is there a good way to reach you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's just Todd Baginski. And also I got a YouTube channel and ToddBaginski.com is my blog too. So those are always good places to find me. And next time we get on here, man, let, let's, uh, let's get the guitar going. You can sing a little bit. I was listening to your SoundCloud. That's fun stuff. Yeah, I, I I miss doing some of that. I tell you, there there's uh, people would always ask. It's like it's like how do you not get nervous being up on stage talking in front of audiences? I'm like, you know, I, I kind of burned that out of my system back in the band days. So for about uh, three years, and we were the last year year and a half of the band, we were gigging every single weekend. Wow, I, I miss doing that. I mean, it was, sometimes it was Friday and Saturday nights, and and we were making money and buying nicer equipment, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. But how long was your hair back then? Uh, I mean, I, I look, I'm I'm a new wave kid, so it's never, <laughs> so you always had it short. It's always shorter, like long kind of thing. I was the you know in the '80s, I was the trench coat wearing uh, monkey boot or docks, you know. Okay, gotcha. Uh, look, but uh, I'm very much the '80s new wave kid. But I, I had my hair done about here in college. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we'll have to get together and do some, do some music stuff together. That'd be fun. So, all right, well, Todd, well, thanks a lot for your time. Yeah, see you later.